Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Museum curator and historian Daniel Neff used to present tours in the Old State House Museum in Boston, the site of the Boston Massacre in 1770. One of these tours was called Weapons of the American Revolution, and it went into gory detail of the carnage inflicted by bayonets and musket balls. At the same museum, Neff also presented a tour called Medicine and the American Revolution, often featuring the same grisly battle wounds. As his colleague and today's guest, Tegan Kehoe, recalls, Neff started to notice a difference between the way visitors responded to each of the tours. He remarked a number of times that visitors who seemed otherwise temperamentally the same, sometimes even the the same visitors, would react very differently to hearing about a particular type of battle wound, depending on whether they were on the weapons tour or the medicine tour. And it seemed that people on the weapons tour were imagining themselves inflicting those injuries. And on the medicine tour, they were imagining being the victim and being the patient. And that's just such a powerful way of thinking about how people are relating to the content in museums and how people are relating to history. Neff's observation is featured in the introduction of Kehoe's new book, Exploring American Healthcare Through 50 Historic Treasures. Hello, my name is Tegan Kehoe. I'm a public historian and writer specializing in the history of healthcare and medical science. I work at the Paul S. Russell, M.D. Museum of Medical History and Innovation at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. And my forthcoming book is Exploring American Healthcare Through 50 Historic Treasures, which is coming out from AASLH Press in January. Exploring American Healthcare Through 50 Historic Treasures looks at the fields of medicine and public health through the lens of artifacts in museums and historic sites around the country. Kehoe's day job at the Museum of Medical History, where she researches and writes museum exhibits, has helped her see tropes in the way museums tend to present medical topics and artifacts. Museums, especially generalist museums tackling a medical history topic, will often go for the gruesome because that is a hook for people. And I I very much understand why exhibits tend to latch on to the, the gruesome and the macabre in medical history but it can be a little bit narrow sometimes. And then the other thing that I see in exhibits, especially of museums that do focus on healthcare or medicine, is this narrative of progress, of sort of the march of scientific progress always moving forward. And they'll go for sort of emphasizing the way in which medicine before a particular period was particularly primitive and There isn't necessarily a particular set of imagery or exhibit style choices that goes with that the way there is with the sort of the more gruesome stuff. But I think this idea of look how great progress is, which I don't disagree with, but it's another way that it can be a very narrow way of of looking at healthcare. Each chapter in the book centers around a different historic artifact, arranged in chronological order to tell the story of American medical history. Chapter one is a wax model of a scrotum showing what was known as children's chimney sweep cancer at the Mother Museum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
typical of the models doctors and medical students used to study a variety of diseases in the 18th century. Chapter 24 is a bubonic plague pathology slide at a collection at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas, from a cluster of outbreaks that happened along the U.S.'s Gulf Coast in 1920. By grounding the narrative in objects, Kehoe is doing two things. First, copying the presentation style of most museums for artifacts that are scattered across the United States. And second, providing a window to a particular time and place. As Kehoe writes, looking at healthcare history through artifacts can help us see the people of the past as people, people who drank beer, waited for the nurse to read their high temperature, or hoped against hope that the new medication they took would prolong their life. Not being able to play with placement and just having those sort of static images gave me a lot of freedom. So in the chapter about an infant incubator, I wasn't able to find any stories about a baby who might have been in that incubator, but I found a lot of information about a baby from a few years off from when that incubator was in use, but from the same county, really closely connected to the story. And I, I could trust the readers making it clear that this baby wasn't in this incubator, but I could trust them to sort of make that connection. So I was able to kind of go off on this in a way that I could do in a museum exhibit if I had room for it, but in a small object label, you wouldn't necessarily be able to. And so I could use that freedom a little bit to get a fuller story. That fuller story, the story of American healthcare, touches on the societal ideas of who was worthy of a lot of care and who was worthy of less care. And these societal ideas go both ways. Kehoe maps out varying levels of trust in medicine and medical institutions over time and place, something that medicine shares with museums. I think that one of the similarities that's really striking to me is that in both medicine and museums, that expertise is, well, the expertise is real. It's based on study and, and work and certain methodologies, but that aura of expertise is kind of culturally granted. And in both medicine and museums, it's culturally granted by the dominant powerful culture within our society. It's white middle class and upper middle class with certain educational backgrounds are the ones who trust doctors the most and trust museums the most. I don't have stats to back that up, but I know that the people who are most likely to be disregarded by either their doctor or by a museum exhibit are also the ones most likely to say, that's not for me. I'm not welcome there. I don't fit in there. Authority is messy when people feel like that authority is top-down and doesn't involve listening. I think that's something that rings throughout both medicine and museums. Kehoe points to various movements in which doctors or self-styled doctors challenge established healthcare institutions, using newspaper advertisements or their own self-funded schools to create authority. I have a chapter on 19th century alternative medicine, and there, the problem or the perceived problem was that conventional medicine was thought to be really dangerous, largely because it was. If this is kind of the 1830s is sort of the era when the chapter begins, a lot of bloodletting, as in cutting someone open and letting them bleed until they were weak, and that was thought to restore balance in the body. But the problem there was an ideological one for patients. Do we go with what 
doctors are prescribing? Or do we go with this street salesman who says that if I take the right herbs, I'll be able to treat myself and I won't need doctors ever again? An artifact from the 20th century is a modified power wheelchair that belonged to activist Ed Roberts, now in the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. I think one of my favorite objects in the book is the power wheelchair that belonged to Ed Roberts, who was one of the biggest pioneers of the disability rights movement and the independent living movement within disability rights. He became disabled as a teenager because of polio. And one of his memories of that experience that he used in talking about his experiences, because he was a very eminent public speaker who campaigned for disability rights, he would talk about a doctor telling his mother within his earshot that she should hope that he dies because if he lived, he would be nothing but a vegetable. And that ended up sort of galvanizing him. But this really disgusting level of prejudice coming from someone who was supposed to be helping him through the huge changes affecting his body at the time. Um, and so he would have absolutely seen a doctor as an authority figure but not authority figure in the sense of someone to trust. That would be an authority figure in the sense of someone who might be doing gatekeeping, someone who might be changing your level of access to the care that you need. He got a power chair while he was in college so that he could have more independence. He sometimes related that it was so that he could go on dates without having an attendant chaperone the date because he needed someone to push his wheelchair. And at first he was told that he couldn't use a power chair because he didn't have the correct range of motion in his hand to be able to use the controls. And he realized that if they installed the controls on his otherwise commercially built wheelchair backwards, that the range of motion he did have in his hand was completely adequate to operate the chair. And so it was a customized chair in that way. One of the last artifacts presented in the book is an ambulance damaged in the September 11th attacks in the collection of the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York. Like always, the artifact is a jumping off point to a much larger story. In this case, Kehoe details the history of emergency medical services, from transport of the sick during epidemics to battlefield ambulances during the American Civil War. The artifact in this chapter is an ambulance that was on the scene and that was badly damaged after the second tower fell. So the two EMTs who had been in the ambulance, they both survived. They were not in the ambulance at the time that it fell, but they were responding before the second tower fell. And I felt so incredibly lucky that both of them had given oral histories that were publicly available. And so I could read their experiences of that absolutely horrible day and being separated from their work partner for hours with no way to find out whether the other person was alive and just these absolutely gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching stories. And I think that 9-11 is a perfect example of that as well, as we're always living through history, but that is a moment that everyone understood immediately that it would be historic. The ambulance from 9-11 is an example of an artifact that was collected for a museum soon after it was used. I'm not sure what medical artifacts, if any, were collected after treating the wounded of the Boston Massacre. It won't be long, if it hasn't happened already, that museums will display commercial and homemade masks from the current coronavirus pandemic, along with banners thanking healthcare workers. The coronavirus pandemic is not covered in this book. 
Kiev started writing the book before the outbreak. In terms of the actual writing of the book, about the second half of it was during the pandemic, which certainly changed my research process and also changed my relationship to the material a little bit because I was writing about medical history while living medical history. I mean, we're all living history all the time, but it's a little more noticeable during something like a pandemic. But while the coronavirus pandemic is not covered in this book, you can feel your own experience of the pandemic in almost every artifact. Before the outbreak, I didn't think much about how health and healthcare don't exist in a vacuum. I didn't appreciate how the decisions that patients, providers, researchers, and public health professionals make are not only informed by correct or incorrect understandings of current medical science, but also by a host of other factors. People who are dealing with healthcare, whether they're dealing as patients or providers or researchers or some combination, they're always looking for answers to questions. And what answers they come up with is going to be influenced by science, but also by culture, by what kind of trust relationship they have with the other people in the equation, by the technology that's available in the day, by so many other things. And so when you're able to take a step back and look at kind of the various ways that people are involved with healthcare and with medicine holistically, there are a lot of common themes, but very few are sort of universal. And that idea of everyone's approaching it with questions, and there are a lot of influences that affect their answers, is the kernel that I'm actually confident in saying is universal. And I think that that's also the place that my book really connects to the pandemic. You can pre-order Exploring American Healthcare through 50 Historic Treasures anywhere books are sold. But I recommend going to bookshop.org slash shop slash Tegan Kehoe, where you can both support independent bookstores and check out her other writings. This has been Museum Archipelago. Museum Archipelago is an ad-free, listener-supported podcast. If you enjoy this show, if you find it a meaningful addition to your week, please support us by joining Club Archipelago. Once you join Club Archipelago, you'll find dozens and dozens of bonus episodes, including Hour Plus shows where special guests and I dive deep into museum movies and documentaries. But the best reason to join Club Archipelago is to make sure this podcast continues to exist. You can join Club Archipelago today at Join the Museum. Club. For a full transcript of this episode, as well as show notes and links, visit museumarchipelago.com. Thanks for listening. And next time, bring a friend. <laughs>